0: The 8th Circuit Network. We make things. Put them in your brain.
1: Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle.
0: And this is your host, Peter.
1: Today, we're extra
0: black. (laughs) I think every episode, we're extra white, no matter what we do.
1: Pretty, yeah. Pretty much no matter how black we try to be, we just come out Wheaties white. (laughs) Peter, did you eat your wadies today? My wadies. <laughs> They're adequate. So we thought it would be kind of fun to do an episode on songs that are sort of the titles are plays on words. That's true. It seems yeah. to
0: be somewhat common among the funk and soul genres yeah, for some those, reason. So
1: the, those soul artists, they love their puns. Yeah. So yeah, we could just call this the punny episode. Let's not actually do that, but... That's so punny! <laughs> okay. This is gonna be a bad episode.
0: Remember when... All the puns. It was a while ago, maybe within the first 20 or so, didn't we have a phase where we did puns all the time?
1: I think we did. <laughs> I just... And then they just... No, remember we had a phase where I would try to use a pun to, like, segue to the next song, and each one was just more <laughs> terrible than the last... <laughs>
0: I think you should try to do that again uh, with this I was going to
1: say I can resurrect that for this episode. (laughs) Um, Okay. For our first song, what do we got, Mr. Peter?
0: For our first song, we have a song called... (laughs) God darn it. We have a song (laughs) called Queen of Clubs by the band Casey and the Sunshine Band. So if you don't know, they are a funk slash disco band that rose to fame in the mid-1970s. They're best known for songs like Shake Your Booty and That's The Way I Like It.
1: Uh-huh,
0: uh-huh. That's the way, uh-huh. Uh, and they are still touring, and as I mentioned in the very first episode of the show, I saw them last summer live. They were awesome. That is pretty awesome. I, I would see them again if I saw them around, so...
1: And like Harold Melvin and the Blue Nuts, they'll be around.
0: That's true. That was really bad. Really bad. <laughs> really bad well Casey and the Sunshine Band was founded by singer-songwriter Harry Wayne Casey who was originally a record store employee from Miami, Florida I did not know that
1: isn't he a cracker
0: he is white if that's what you're referring to yes no
1: I was referring to the fact that he was actually a cracker he
0: is a saltine well he's not a saltine cracker oh man he is a white man one
1: time when I was a kid and I was really poor I used to eat ketchup on saltines
0: hmm that sounds like it could be okay. Yeah, it was okay. Saltines by themselves are good, but you can only eat a couple because you they are kind of yeah. salty.
1: <laughs> like, like, the ultimate irony is if you were, like, stranded in the desert and all you had to eat was saltines.
0: You would... Oh, gosh, I don't even want to think about that. Yeah. I would just kick the box far away and then run. <laughs> and then the box explodes. Yeah. I mean, you'd, you'd almost be better off eating the box.
1: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> eat more fiber. That's true.
0: So, the song Queen of Clubs that we're talking about um, was one of the first songs by Casey and the Sunshine Band and was included on their debut album, which was called Do It Good, and that was released in 1974 on TK Records. This album, Do It Good, uh, generally did not see a lot of success, which I guess makes sense since it was their, their debut album.
1: They did nope. it bad.
0: They did, they did it bad with Do It Good. But... Uh, As we would see in the few years after this, um, they would become extremely popular with their more uh, disco-type songs. Um, But this one, Queen of Clubs, did eventually become popular enough, interestingly, um, that this album was re-released under a new name called Queen of Clubs. Nice. So, in terms of our theme for today, play on words, the common meaning for Queen of Clubs, as you can probably guess, is, you know, within your standard playing card deck, you have The uh, kings and the queens and all of that jazz.
1: Go fish!
0: Yeah. (laughs) And there's the card with the queen with the suit of clubs, so pretty self-explanatory.
1: Wait, wait, isn't the queen, like, the most powerful card in the
0: deck, because she can, like, move any which way? Sure. (laughs) That would be a cool game, actually, when you think about it, because if you combined playing cards with chess, because it would almost be, like... I don't know. Like
1: like the lower numbers are the pawns and like the higher numbers are the different back pieces. Yeah. And then the king and the queen and the Jack can be like the rook or something. I don't
0: even know. Or they could ever... it could be more like one of those games where they could they all have different power ups and stuff and it's like Pokemon or something <laughs> plus chess.
1: Speaking of Pokemon, because this has everything to do with everything, they're releasing a new mini series, anime series. ...based on the original Pokemon, you know, the Red and Blue, the ones that we played as kids... Mm -hmm. ...they're releasing a new miniseries based on that original storyline of the character Red... ...who, for those of you that are our age and played the games, Red is the final character that you fight in the original, I guess, series... ...and he was the character that Ash, the character in the regular cartoon, was based off of... ...but, lo and behold, he's not actually the same character... So they're doing this mini series showing uh Red's journey throughout the whole Pokemon Kingdom, I guess. Hmm. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Everything to do with this song.
0: It's well because indirectly relevant, I guess. <laughs> uh <laughs> but that's cool to know. For sure. When is that coming out? I don't know. <laughs> well, you folks just, listeners, can look it up.
1: I saw I saw a trailer for it on Reddit and I was like, "Oh, holy crap, that sounds awesome, but they didn't give anything about a release date. You set. said
0: it looked pretty cool too, right? Yeah. Like the, the, style. the
1: animation style is like way better than the original show. Like I don't know who what group they got to do it, but I was like impressed. Hmm. Very good cool. very good drawing style.
0: Nice. So, uh getting back to the, the meaning of the song, Queen of Clubs, we talked about the common meaning. Um the song's meaning specifically so they're not talking about a playing card in case you didn't guess. Um, they are talking about a woman who was very popular among dance clubs. So, they sing about a woman who is, quote, the queen of clubs.
1: Peter, are you the king of clubs?
0: I run around on the streets clubbing people. <laughs> 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 if that counts.
1: Peter, you're not playing Grand Theft Auto, this is the real world. <laughs>
0: I know. <laughs> uh, it's a pretty catchy song, I I think it's not really considered one of their... Their best, but I do like it personally. It's pretty fun and catchy, so
1: I don't like until this particular episode I can't say I've ever actually heard it. Oh, okay. Although sadly I have to concede that the Casey and the Sunshine Man isn't one of my favorite artists. Hmm. They're okay, but of the disco groups, so to speak, I, I don't know, I just they seem so white.
0: <laughs> That's a fair argument. Although, to be fair, a lot of disco was white people.
1: Yeah, but, like, like, like the Bee Gees and stuff, like, they tried to be black, and they, mm. like, if you didn't, if you didn't, like, know that the Bee Gees was, like, the epitome of white music, <laughs> you, you would just think that they're, like, goofy black guys. I suppose so. But they're not.
0: <laughs> That's true, they're goofy white guys.
1: Aren't The Bee Gees, no, the Bee Gees aren't British. God, I don't, see, I don't know any, I don't know anything.
0: Are they, like, Australian I thought something? I
1: thought the Bee Gees were British, and then because we talked about the fact that they did that song about Massachusetts, but they're not anywhere near Massachusetts.
0: Yeah, they're British, but they then they moved to Australia for, like, a long time or something. Yeah. yeah. Something weird like that, yeah. Okay. I so forgot I about half, that. You're right.
1: I was half right.
0: Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really like Casey and the Sunshine Band. Um, one thing I will say is that as much as I do like them, pretty much all of their songs sound exactly the same. Yeah, which I, can be an argument against them.
1: I that's that was probably my main argument is like you can all their songs are fairly interchangeable. Like the, mm-hmm. some of them are totally recognizable and iconic, but yeah, they kind of just had like one sound. they were like, hey, this sounds good. Let's do it for everything ever. Yeah, which well, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I guess so.
0: It just seems funny that so many of the songs sound similar. And something they did in the concert, which was interesting, is that a lot of the times they would. Pretty much seamlessly jump from one song to the next. They would just keep going, and it would go, it would fit really well, because I think a lot of them have a very similar sound, similar tempo. Yeah. So I mean, it it was almost seamless when um, whenever they would do that. So I guess it works under those circumstances, but I I certainly wouldn't say that Harry Wayne Casey is the most uh, wide range of musical in terms of his writing, songwriting. Um, but he I, It was extremely successful Yeah um, At the time And there were a lot of good hits that came from them too So. No, no, definitely Let's listen to a clip of Queen of Clubs By the Casey and the Sunshine Band In case you haven't heard it She's got So that was Queen of Clubs by Casey and the Sunshine Band. I can do it. Pretty good song. Yeah.
1: Next song is Who'd a Guessed It, also by Casey and the Sunshine Band. This one, though, I pr- is probably my favorite song by them, mostly because of its association with um, Mighty Boosh. <laughs> uh-huh. The next song we want to talk about that is a pun, sort of, is I'm Your Boogeyman, uh, which is off... Casey and the Sunshine, Advanced, nineteen seventy-six album, part three.
0: Was that their third album then?
1: I assume so, because seems like a random. Unless name. unless they pulled a Gap Band and they mismatched all their numbers <laughs> of their album names. Um, the first album that you talked about uh, was seventy-four. Mm-hmm. So safe to presume and that was their second album. The yeah. Okay. Safe to presume it's probably the third, but. Uh, one of their members, Richard Finch, actually said that the song was written about a DJ in Miami, Florida,
0: hmm.
1: uh, whose name is Robert W. Walker, who was actually the first to give their hit single, Get Down Tonight, Airplay. Hmm. So it's kind of uh, a thank you to him, so to speak. That's cool. When this song came out uh, it, by the next year, 1977, it had already reached the number one position on the Billboard Hot 100 and number three on the R&B single, so it like went crazy mad popular. But that was, cool. the hide of, that was the height of Disco, too, so... Yeah. That's pretty cool. I So, this DJ guy is apparently the man that gives you the boogie. Cool. I guess to kind of go into the etymology, so to speak, um, the common meaning of boogeyman is he, a fictional character used by adults to frighten children into compliance. Boogeyman may target a specific mischief, for instance, a boogeyman that punishes children who suck their thumbs, or general <laughs> misbehavior. In some cases, the boogeyman is a nickname for the devil. Oh.
0: <laughs> cool.
1: Did you? Did your parents ever give you any boogeyman lessons? My parents weren't that mean. Like, if they wanted me to not do something, they would just be like, "Don't do that.
0: It's stupid." Yeah. <laughs> they me wouldn't too. try to like
1: manipulate me with fear,
0: or like create fictional creatures that were gonna kill me in my sleep. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. You're probably not gonna remember this, but on the off chance you do, do you remember? You know how in the 90s Disney Channel had all those, like, monthly Disney Channel movies? Do you remember the one they had about the Boogeyman?
0: Possibly. Keep going, maybe.
1: And, like, he lived under this kid's bed, and then the kid goes under the bed, and it's, like, this whole, like, netherworld
0: (laughs) of weird crap. What was it called?
1: I think it was just called... Boogeyman? Like, Boogeyman Under the Bed or something. Uh, No, I don't
0: think I remember that.
1: Oh, I just remember it because I remember... Associating once I saw Mighty Boosh that the Boogeyman looked exactly like Old Greg. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's kind of terrifying.
1: What's what is more terrifying, Old Greg or the Boogeyman?
0: Old, old Greg.
1: <laughs> or is Old Greg actually like the Boogeyman, and because they don't know his name, he's just become like this like mythical legend?
0: Mm, maybe. You want some
1: Bailey's? <laughs> So, yes, that is the normal meaning of boogie. Some
0: of our listeners have had no concept of what of course, we're talking of
1: about. Of course, 90% of the time they have no concept of what we're talking about. shame. <laughs> Come on, let's, let's be real. Good point, Kyle. Everyone's just like, what? <laughs> um, yes, okay, it's a, a show called Mighty Bush. It's a British show, and I'm going to do some Googling
0: because so I can
1: better describe it. It's one it.
0: of those shows that would make a lot more sense if you were high.
1: Totally. That's uh, why that. I was so popular in college, to be honest. Mm. Yes, The Mighty Bush is a British TV show comed- and a comedy featuring Julian Barrett and Noel Fielding. And apparently, the ne- the name of the show was named after a childhood hairstyle of Michael Fielding. Mm. And it was developed from three stage shows into a six-episode radio series. It has since spawned a total of 20 television episodes on BBC3. Uh, and in June 2013, oh, that was this summer... It was confirmed that the Mighty Boosh would reunite for a U.S. festival called oh Festival God. Supreme in October. Oh, so my. That's
0: in a few days from now.
1: I need to find out more about this. Because Mighty Boosh. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a really wacky British show. and Really bizarre. <laughs> if any of you have seen any sort of British comedy, you just immediately know how bizarre it is. <laughs> um, yeah. And I guess getting back to this song I'm your boogeyman uh the songs meaning though it's probably up for debate is about a man who provides you with boogie because he's <laughs> your boogeyman and boogie is spelled b-o-o-g-i-e as in to boogie or get down as opposed to boogeyman which is b-o-g-e-y right I think man I think is what they say in Britain like when they say oh look at your bogey's coming out of your nose <laughs> So the bogeyman is basically just a man covered in snot. Oi, he's the bogeyman, get him! <laughs> Blimey. Um. So, now that we've butchered two cultures in one, <laughs> let's listen to a little clip of I'm Your Bogeyman by Casey and the Sunshine Band.
0: To the point that we were saying earlier about how a lot of um, their songs sound similar, um, you listeners might notice a bit of a similarity between those two songs, even though I'm Bogeyman was a few years later and starting to get into a little bit more of the the disco sound.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's one of those things where it's like they found a riff or tempo or whatever that worked, Yeah. especially because, you know, disco, dance clubs, everything has to kind of be at a certain beat Mm -hmm. or pace, so they just kept with that, you know... I don't think they were really known for their
0: slow ballads. <laughs> <laughs> they, there is one Really? That they have. I'm trying to think what it's called. Please don't go. Oh, apparently that's like one of his most famous songs. Well, there you go. It's, but it's really weird because that's like the one that's not like any of the others.
1: Boogie shoes, give it up, get down tonight. Please don't go. Ooh, I like this. Okay, that's pretty. That's pretty dope.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, maybe I have to give them a second chance.
0: At least with that one song. <laughs> I yeah. think more of... Because I know he's been recording um, even in the last five, ten years. I think more of his stuff has gone kind of in that direction.
1: Well, yeah. You, you get older, you can't keep up with that time You get you older, anymore. you can't really... <laughs> yeah. Unless you're Mick Jagger. That guy is on speed or something. Yeah. Wait, you,
0: No, I was going to try to think of something clever to say, but... Yeah, I know who Mick Jagger is.
1: I was going to be like, Prater? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Never mind. <laughs>
1: I was about to slap you with a guitar.
0: Over a phone call.
1: Th- through the uh, internet tubes. Oh, speaking of science, you heard how si- the scientists have apparently developed a new physical matter material that is basically compressed photons, and it basically acts in the same way as a lightsaber.
0: Yeah, it sounded it's, pretty cool.
1: It's a. I was reading the experiment they did. It's a cool concept. I guess they shot photons into a cloud of this element called rubidium, and the cloud, in sciency terms, basically got the particles all jumbled up, where they could... Because normally photons just pass through each other and pass through everything because it's light. Mm -hmm. It's the matter of light, so to speak. And I guess this cloud of rubidium caused the the light to get captured and tangled up and compressed it, Mm -hmm. where they basically formed a particle. Huh. You know, which is just a bunch, you know, a bunch of atoms basically. Right. And they're basically like this particle behaved very similar to a lightsaber in that it kind of just cut through anything it went through.
0: Inside, Interesting.
1: Inside their container that they did this in, it actually came,
0: flew out of the container. So it's a proton that acts like a, uh, no, a uh, particle acts like a photon?
1: It's a photon that acts like matter, and photon isn't really matter. It's really hard to right. describe.
0: <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh
1: it, Yeah, it acts like a solid object, basically, instead of just like this gaseous photon type thing. It's bizarre. But basically leads the way to us developing lightsabers, which would be flipping
0: awesome. Does this lead to us developing, like, light cycles and stuff? Uh, No. (laughs) Well, that would still be cool. Yeah, it would. But light
1: light cycles don't seem very practical, especially for traffic.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, with light cycles, when they would, like, try to kill each other, they would have, like, that beam of light going behind them. Uh Like, that's kind of the same thing as a lightsaber, right? That's kinda of like the same no. material. <laughs> the <laughs> it's just in a different shape. Well, it
1: seemed it seemed that material behaved more like a physical solid wall and that if you hit it you died
0: <laughs> Yeah, but I mean with a lightsaber it's kind of a physical thing and it's like a sword.
1: Yeah, I guess. So that, they could be similar. That seemed that seemed more to behave the way it did because of an like, immense heat, so to speak, that allowed it to slice through things. Mm. Whereas the light trail going Coming from behind a uh, light cycle acted more as like a translucent sort of force field. Yeah. That when you hit it, you explode or die or whatever. I don't know. We should, uh, we should ask, uh, George Lucas and Jeff Bridges respectively about this. If, <laughs> Je- if anyone would know,
0: it's Jeff Bridges. It'd be really cool if he would just come onto our show and just chill with he, us.
1: He just comes on, he's like, hey man, I'm not saying you're wrong, I'm just saying you're an
0: asshole. <laughs> Anyways, so. So that's enough of Funk Radio Science slash Sci Fi Corner. <laughs> <laughs>
1: funk, funk Radio Mystery Science 3000. <laughs>
0: mystery Funk.
1: Mystery Funk 3000. <laughs> uh, okay. So yeah, that What's was. What's coming up
0: next, Mr. Kyle? Oh, wait, is this by me? Oh, this is.
1: <laughs> Let me do that. <laughs> What's coming up next, Mr. Peter? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so for our next song, it's called Stop, Book, Listen to Your Heart by The Stylistics. And if you don't know, the Stylistics were one of the signature uh, Philadelphia soul groups in the late 60s to early 70s. This song was first recorded by the Stylistics in 1971. Um, this album, also called the Stylistics, uh, included such famous hits that are more well known by them, uh, such as "Betcha by Golly Wow" and "You Are Everything." This album was recorded at Sigma Sound Studios in Philadelphia for Avco Records, and was uh, the whole thing was produced and co-written by legendary producer Tom Bell. Uh, Although Stop, Look, Listen to Your Heart failed to reach any particular critical success in its own right, um, there is a notable duet cover recorded by Marvin Gaye and Diana Ross, which was in 1974, about three years later. This was included on their joint album Diana and Marvin for Motown Records. Uh, That album was extremely successful, since basically it was released at the height of both of their careers simultaneously. So, pretty good for them. So, the common meaning of stop, look, listen to your heart, more so of just stop, look, listen, is a safety tip when you're crossing the street, as you've probably heard as a child, stop looking within before you cross the street. Oh, I just
1: heard, I always was taught, go, hope they don't hit
0: you, and run. <laughs> Walk first, apologize later. Is that how when you works? were
1: a kid, did you, did you have to learn, like, I think probably kindergarten, you had to learn the stop signs, red or the stop red, yellow, green? Yeah. I got that mixed up. I thought green meant stop. And no, I'm not kidding.
0: Well, good thing you weren't driving at the time.
1: <laughs> I'm driving like one of those um, those little like car shopping carts you get at the grocery store. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm taking it into traffic.
0: Oh, gosh. <laughs>
1: Grand Theft Grocery Cart.
0: <laughs> Featuring six-year-old Kyle. Sadly, I would play that game. Not yeah, gonna lie. I would, too. So, the, the song's meaning of stop, look, listen to your heart. Basically, it's saying take the time to contemplate on what your heart wants rather than just acting on impulse. Because if you don't really think about what you want or what you're doing, you could hurt yourself and others emotionally. So, stop, look, listen to your heart.
1: I get it now.
0: Uh, <laughs> generally, in the context of street safety, they don't usually say stop, look, listen to your heart. Although, maybe that could help you. Yeah. <laughs> like
1: you're at one of those crosswalks and it's like wait listen to your heart
0: <laughs> yeah so let's listen to a clip of stop Look, listen to your heart by the stylistics bit of a slower paced song than the previous two that we were listening it's to too listen too late to your heart hear what it
1: look listen to your heart
0: looked and listened to your heart to that last song
1: yes and we hope you show and tell your friends about this next song yeah the next song <laughs> is the next song is called uh, show-and-tell by al wilson and i would just like to say this is probably one of my favorite songs in all of
0: song to
1: cool that too and the song is off of al wilson's 1973 album also titled show-and-tell
0: what a coincidence they had the same name <laughs>
1: that never happens ever <laughs> for those of you that don't know about al wilson he became famous after a two-year military stint and landed in los angeles where he would tour uh local nightclub circuits before he joined the r&b vocal group the jewels from there he landed with the rollers followed by a stint with the instrumental combo the souls so he was with a lot of a lot of different groups in the 60s eventually he signed with uh famous manager mark gordon ...who quickly uh, sought his client as an acapella audition for Johnny Rivers. Wilson was signed uh, to the Soul City imprint, but Rivers also produced the sessions that yielded the 1968 R&B hit The Snake. So, I guess Johnny Rivers is a producer who s- signed Wilson to clear that up. Yeah, okay. The Snake is Wilson's first major hit and also very popular. Basically, after that, Wilson basically totally disappeared off the face of uh, the planet... Until 1973, Woody issued this album, Show and Tell, and the success was matched by the single, which sold over 1 million copies, and was nice. awarded the gold disc by the RIAA in December of 1973. Cool. And this was remember before they changed that ruling where platinum is now a million, and then gold is like 500k. So yeah, that's that.
0: You know, last week, uh, when we were talking about one of the Earth, Wind, and Fire songs, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I guess it might have been Serpentine Fire... Probably. Or the other one, I think it came out right around when they were switching that requirement. Mm-hmm. So I think it was awarded gold, even though it sold a million copies or something. Oh, that's harsh! Like they didn't, they didn't like
1: bump it up to platinum.
0: Yeah, I don't remember what the what it was. I think it maybe got both or something. It was some weird situation because it came out right around. It was when was that? Like seventy six or something? Mm-hmm. I think when they switched it. So I don't know. Kind of weird. Yeah. So um, Al Wilson disappeared for many years and then showed and told the world about himself with this song. Yes,
1: I guess getting into the meaning of show and tell—the common meaning for those of you that don't know—show Uh show and tell is an educational tool used by teachers, in which children bring a cherished item to demonstrate its value to the class. <laughs> I hated show and tell. <laughs> Did you? You know? You know what? I'm t- you know what show and tell is, right? Where you basically—I I
0: know what show and tell. I think is. we. I
1: think like every year from like first grade to fourth grade I had to do that
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I had to bring something and I always hated because I could never think of what to bring because I liked all of my stuff so much I couldn't like pick any one thing that I like wanted to, <laughs> sh- wanted to show kids I wasn't going to be like
0: That's really funny. I wasn't going
1: to be like this is my game boy and I play it and everyone else has one but this one is mine <laughs> <laughs> there are many like it but this one is mine <laughs>
0: I'm trying to rack my brain for any particular memories about show and tell.
1: Those were all destroyed
0: with the whiskey Peter. I think so. In my early childhood years. <laughs> I
1: just imagine, like, six-year-old you, like, after class at, like, a bar. <laughs> Life's tough, man. Today I couldn't find my purple crayon.
0: For some reason, this reminds me of that, that animated short, what was it called, Moon Boots, where that kid... Oh my god. wants the moon boots, so he goes to work. Oh
1: my god, I freaking loved that. Oh. Yeah, that's really funny. I was dying when I first saw that thing. That was brilliant. Yeah. Whoever got that, like, better freaking have a job somewhere good. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, Cheryl, guess what? Monkey (laughs) bite. And he's drinking, like, the Capri Sun in the wine
0: glass. (laughs) Yeah, for those of you uh, who haven't seen it, it's a short animated Thing. It's like an uh, thing. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Where uh, a kid is going to school, but he really wants moon boots, but he doesn't have, I don't know, like ten bucks or something. So he starts going to work at like a business, and right next he's to really school he's school. really enthusiastic enthusiastic about it at first, but then over time, it basically kills all of his hope for life, so to speak.
1: <laughs> yeah, because yeah, basically, yeah, basically he like, has to work for like a week to like save up money to get these like moon boots because his mom's like, oh, if you want them, then get a job, like jokingly. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then by the end, um, like the secretary's like, happy Monday, and he's like, is it, is it really? <laughs> sometimes when I go to sleep, I dream I don't wake up. <laughs> <laughs> and he basically becomes like the suicidal alcohol, like, <laughs>
0: Oh yeah. my god, that was like Yeah, a- it's really great. So, I... Oh, you know what? I think it's just called Work. Oh, it is? I'm, I'm looking it up now. I, it's just called Work. Oh. So, if you listeners might look that up, that's pretty funny. We both recommend it.
1: It's a sad thing, is I didn't realize how true that animatic was until you actually <laughs> start working. Sadly, I still have not saved up enough for moon boots. <laughs> but yeah, show and tell was always like a torturous thing for children. I didn't... Unless it was just to, like, teach them how to speak publicly, I didn't ever get the point. It seemed like such a cop-out for teachers, because it was always, like... (laughs) It was always, like, a whole day, and each kid would just trudge up to the front of the class and be like, This is my teddy bear. This is the stain where I spit on him. And this is the blood stain where Daddy stabbed me. (laughs) What was wrong with your childhood? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Um, God. But... Yeah, I'm exaggerating for a fact, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it just always seemed like such a cop out for the teacher because they just sat at their desk and it's like, very good, Jimmy, sit down now. <laughs> and the next kid, and I'm.
0: Yeah, yeah, I could, I mean, maybe it was a cop out, I'm not sure. I mean, I could see how there's some value to having kids be comfortable talking in front of others.
1: Yeah, it's like public speaking at the age of six or something. Yeah. I have a dream that I can eat my popsicle and not judge it by the color of its flavor, but by the content of its sugariness.
0: <laughs> so yeah. The uh, the I Have a Dream speech that we don't know. The about. I Have a
1: Dreamsicle speech.
0: Okay. So what is the song's meaning of showing? Yeah, tell
1: the song, which has nothing to do with dreamsicles, is about a man who's feeling the need to both tell a woman how he feels, as well as show her through his actions. That's pretty cool. So, I think we should show and tell our listeners just how awesome the song is.
0: And it's by well, we already told them. Let's, let's show them. Let's, uh, I like that. Let's do that. Girl, and here is the soul of which you've taken control. Can't you see? I'm trying to show love is right. Oh, tell. Just a
1: game I when I wanna say,
0: I love you. You know, the first time I ever heard this song when you introduced me to this song. You got a boner? No. Um, but <laughs> this was when we had our um, college radio show. Yeah, I'm sure. And, um, and you introduced me to this song. And this is one of the songs we used for our funk karaoke thing that we would do. Oh, and so yeah. And I remember where I was... we'd all sing along to it on the air. and it was.
1: I remember so, I was yeah. really, really into it because I loved this song.
0: Yeah, this is a really good song. So yeah, that's part of part of my memories of of this song is that because that's when I was first introduced to it.
1: Yay! So that is um, "Show and Tell" by Al Wilson. Definitely, probably one of my at least top ten mm. favorite funk and soul songs of all time. I don't know why, because he's pretty much like a one or two hit wonder. Yeah. But it's just something about this song that's so visceral. It's just like,
0: mm, yeah,
1: show it, <laughs> tell, tell it. it, tell it. Sadly, I don't have this on vinyl, because it's really hard to find, because it's like he's Oh, because wonder. it's his
0: one hit, yeah mm-hmm. Well, I hope you find it soon Yes And you can show and tell us all about it Yes, we Peter we bring your bring that to show and tell Yes, exactly
1: What do we got next, Mr. Peter?
0: Coming up next, Mr. Peter, is a song called Slippery When Wet by the Commodores um, If you don't know, they are a funk-slash-soul band popular throughout the 70s and 80s with hits like Brick House, Easy, and The Bone uh, Slippery When Wet, was included on their second album, called Cotton The Act, which was released in 1975 for Motown Records. Um, like their first album, Machine Gun, uh, the group's early sound was focused more on like lively funk hits. Later on, throughout the late 70s and early 80s, they would shift into a more softer R&B pop style. So this was in the more funky era of the Commodores. You, can, y-
1: you can totally tell, by the way, with the Commodores, their transition, because for those of you that don't know is where lionel richie got his start mm-hmm. and you can totally see their transition from like funk group to like sort of an amalgamation of what lionel richie's solo career would become mm-hmm. like by the by the early 80s but i think by the early 80s he started yeah. and then did his lionel richie thing but it's they sounded exactly like he ended up sounding so exactly it, he definitely had like a big impact on the band's sound
0: so, yeah, I mean, originally, because, I mean, if you know what Lionel Richie sounds like, this doesn't really sound like that, because... No, no, not at this, all. This they, is, they changed a lot. This is uh, much more funky. Yeah. Just like our show? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, Slippery When Wet was released as, as as well as being released in um, Caught in the Act, it was also released as a single, and became their first song to hit number one on the Soul Singles chart, which is pretty good, I guess. I think that's okay. Oh, that's Okay. So the common meaning of slippery when wet is usually a warning that the surrounding area is slippery on account of it being rained on or whether they're cleaning it or something. You know, you've seen those yellow signs with the guy slipping. I don't remember the way you say it in Spanish. I don't know either. Not caliente. I was thinking of something. Caliente is hot. I know. (laughs) Peter, are you hot when wet? Oh, it's like piso mojado or something. Yeah, piso mojado. I was right. Nice. Slippery, or wet floor, I guess, in Spanish. Now you know, in case you ever end up in that situation. So that's the the regular meaning of slippery when wet. Pretty self-explanatory. Um, then the song's meaning, Uh. it basically means that your life can get kind of messed up, your love life can get kind of messed up, when you're leaving your lover unattended while you're messing around with other women. So, you know, you're out paying attention to all these other women, but at home, your woman is staying alone, and she could find another man if she wanted to. Or she could just get really pissed off.
1: See, I, I always thought this had a much dirtier
0: meaning, because the term wet... I would not be surprised if there was kind of a double meaning to this. Because, yeah, I would... In terms of the song's lyrics, what I just explained is what it means. Oh. Um, But I certainly believe that there could be a double.
1: Because I assume it's like, because wet is a term for sexually aroused yeah. and when you're sexually aroused you're more likely to be infidelidious, infidelidious in- cheating <laughs> <laughs> you're, when you're sexually aroused you're more likely to um, cheat which means you're slippery so
0: to speak I suppose that's true so yeah that's the meaning that they don't come out and say but um, <laughs> certainly that's probably a thing
1: This could have been used
0: on our other episode about uh sexual innuendos. That's very true. Well, we don't want to use them all up in one episode because we gotta (laughs) spread out the innuendos.
1: (laughs) Oh no, we used all the songs ever. (laughs) Looks like funk radio's over, folks.
0: (laughs) No more funk. Okay, well let's listen to this funk-a-jam called Slipper When Wet by the Commodore. (laughs)
1: Rah, when that was uh, Slippery one Wet. That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah.
1: And you know how to keep something from getting wet? You seal it, and then you sign it and deliver it. Um, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I already knew what you were going to say in, resu- in response to that pun. So, the next song we have is Signed, Sealed, Delivered. By Stevie Wonder. Uh, the song is a soul single by Mr. Wonder, recorded on Motown's Tamil label, released in June nineteen seventy. And it was actually the first song that Mr. Wonder produced on his own, so it was a kind of a bit of a first for him. And it spent six weeks at number one on the US R and B chart and peaked at number three on the US pop chart.
0: So it It sounds like he did a pretty good job as a producer.
1: Yeah. Um, this is off his album of the same name, which never happens. Signed, <laughs> sealed, and delivered. Yeah, it's happened like
0: four times now. I
1: have this album, actually. Um, I think it's the first Stevie Wonder album I got, actually. I have like five now. But I'm remember, I got it because I loved the cover, because it's just him sitting in a box.
0: Oh, I love that, where it's like a shipping box, and it's yeah. opened up, and he's popping out, smiling. Yeah. Yeah. It would be like
1: the best delivery ever. <laughs> I know. Like, you know how, you know how they have, um... What do they call it? Like those trucks that like deliver party supplies and stuff to your house, like bounce houses. Yeah. They just need a truck that just delivers Stevie Wonder in a box to your house, <laughs> and it could be called like Wonderworks. It's
0: like it's like, it's like that that scene from uh, a Christmas story where the dad is going through all like the crap in the box. <laughs> Will you take a look at that? And Stevie Wonder just <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. Somebody on the internet needs to take that scene and (laughs) Photoshop Stevie Wonder over the lamp. So he just picks up Stevie Wonder. (laughs) Will you look at that? Well, what is it? Well, it's an award.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think you just uh, figured out your next goal in life, Kyle.
1: Yeah, now I know what to do in my off time. (laughs) And I guess apparently, during a two thousand eight appearance on Friday night with Jonathan Br- Ross, Steven Wonder actually credited the song title and chorus, "Science you Delivered I'm Yours," to his mother Lula, who exclaimed the words after listening to her son experiment with the melody. Hmm. So, his mom wrote the song. That's so cute.
0: So he was just playing the, like the tune, and then she started singing that. Basically, that's cool.
1: Um, the song actually also marked Wonder's first Grammy nomination. Uh, the award ended up going to Donald Dunbar and General Johnson for writing the Clarence Coder song, Patches. So,
0: he got... Oh, wow, so Patches beat out, Signs at, Still Delivered? Yep. Wow, that's cool. That's harsh, but uh, both of them are... But it is signs. Patches.
1: It is Patches. <laughs> I was raised down in a town in Alabama. <laughs> way back up in the woods. So, regarding the meeting of the title the normal meaning of the phrase is a phrase usually denoting a job that has been done, or a package that has been delivered. It's a phrase you say, oh, the job's done, you say, oh, it was signed, sealed, delivered. However, the song's meaning is actually denoting that Steve Wonder is coming back to a woman after leaving her. Basically saying he has been delivered back and as package or something, and is now hers and hers alone.
0: Because That's cool. This is it's hard to say, but I, if I had to choose, this might be my favorite song by Stevie Wonder. Oh, that's tough. But this, one's, this one's definitely, like, my top three.
1: I would have to either say if my favorite is either Living for the City, mm. or... I really like Isn't She Lovely. That's pretty good. So, yeah, um, that is a very good song by Stevie Wonder. And, as we learned, one of his first big successes, I guess that he kind of had more of a handle on. Because he was he was successful all the way to, like, sixty three was uh with what was it, little fingers or something?
0: No. Something fingers. Something fingers, yeah.
1: T- tasty fingers? Chicken fingers? Okay. <laughs> fingertips.
0: That's it. Yeah, fingertips. Chicken fingers.
1: <laughs> I'm not even gonna take that anywhere, Kyle. Hey, hey. Everyone knows that the only thing to do in life is drink beer and eat chicken fingers. Come on. <laughs> um so Let's listen to a little clip of science Sealed, delivered by Mr. Oh, Wonder.
0: Baby, here I am, I baby. I, here I
1: am baby. I, you Do you think Stevie Wonder invented Wonder Bread?
0: Stevie Wonderbread, Bread. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Like, he was actually trying to make cupcakes, but he messed
0: up and made bread. I don't know how, the, I don't know how I the would to I would say no, because Wonderbread is, like, the whitest possible bread ever created. <laughs> how did I know
1: you were going to say that? I would say no, because it's white. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do we got to mix, then, Mr. Peter?
0: We have a song called Hit and Run by the Bar They were an R&B slash funk band from Memphis, Tennessee, who formed in 1966. They're best known for songs such as Soulfinger, Shake Your Room to the Funk, and Freak Show on the Dance Floor.
1: I have to say, as much as I like Soulfinger because of the children, <laughs> I think Freak Show on the Dance Floor is probably my favorite song by them.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty good song. So they got their start as the backing band for a lot of famous artists um, at Stax Records in 66 onwards, until Otis Redding hired them as his personal backing band. Okay, I had no idea that they were his backing band, and I never made this connection before, but... There's the whole famous plane crash that killed Otis Redding and his whole band yeah, huh? in 1967. I didn't realize it was the bar that were his band. Aww. So after this crash that killed Otis Redding, tragically, and all these other people, and I think one of his producers as well, there were only two members of the band left. One was trumpeter Ben Colley, who was the only survivor of that accident, and bassist James Alexander, who luckily was actually running in another airplane, since the one that the rest of them were in could only hold seven people. Yeah, I guess he was the eighth one, and he had to go on a different airplane. Mm -hmm. So he survived because of that. So these two remaining guys, Collie and Alexander, they rebuilt the band with new members. And after that, fortunately, they actually rose to a pretty good success um, throughout the late 60s and into the early to mid-70s. And they continued to perform with big-name artists at Stax Records until um, that record label dissolved in 1975, upon which they transferred to Mercury Records. Yeah,
1: I honestly had absolutely no idea that A,
0: they were his backing band, and B, they were part of that plane crash. Yeah, because I knew about that, but I didn't realize it was them, so that was pretty cool. That,
1: it might take a bit more research than we normally do, which is basically none. Um, (laughs) But that would actually be a really, really cool idea for an episode, because we already did an episode on house bands, Mm -hmm. but an episode about bands that backed other artists Mm -hmm. and Maybe went on to do their own thing. It's like the Green Onions would be a really great example because they mm. backed, uh, what did they back? A lot of people. And as with the, the bar case here without us running, that would be a pretty awesome topic. Yeah. Just to note,
0: that's true. So, the common meaning of the phrase hit and run is when you someone causes an auto accident and leaves the scene without taking responsibility. In terms of the song, it means. Basically, you've been blindsided by someone who you think is com- is committed to a relationship, um, but really they're only there for a one night stand. So, you're, you're, so you are kind of, hit and run. In a matter of speaking, it's kind of like the same. It's like the same term as hit it and quit it. Yeah, exactly. It's the same thing. I gotcha. So, let's listen to the song "Hit and Run" by <laughs> the Barking. <Bar-Camp. laughs>
1: So yeah, getting run by the bar case, and we learned a little bit more about the band that I personally didn't know, so that is cool. Yeah. Yay for research. The next song we have is Sold Out by Tower of Power, and we hope you listeners are not sold out yet, because we've got plenty more soul coming your way. Yeah. So yeah, Sold Out by Tower of Power is an American R&B-based uh, horn section and band that originated in Oakland, California, and has been performing since 1968, so they are old mother fudges. <laughs> As we learned.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we saw them live this last summer.
1: I still love that at that concert, they have, obviously, they have a new, um, I guess, frontman singer, Mm -hmm. and it's this bald black guy who looks like Seal, and at (laughs) the concert, he was wearing, like, this really fancy, like, silver sort of, like, weird disco suit thing. Yeah. And we were walking to the venue down, like, the path that everyone was walking down, and, like... Ten yards in front of us, I see this black guy in this really shiny suit, and I'm like, "Damn, that guy is." Con- I forgot what I was thinking. I was basically like, "Like, damn, that guy cleans up good." Yeah. <laughs> in a non-sexual way, of course. Right. And I was just like, you know, I was thinking, I'm like, this guy's really overdressed for a concert. <laughs> but I was thinking, like, maybe he's maybe he's coming from work or something. I don't know. <laughs> and then it turns out he's the singer. That's really funny. And I was just thinking. I'm like, dude, we were like ten feet away from him at one point. I
0: don't even remember if I had seen him or not, but that's really funny. I just that you thought that.
1: I just caught him <laughs> in my line of sight when he was walking in front of us, mm. and I was like, "Why is he wearing a suit to a concert?" <laughs> Did not make that connection. Whatsoever. It's not like
0: he's performing or anything. Yeah,
1: I know, right? <laughs> it's like, who's he? Who's he dressing up for? Is he trying to impress?
0: They were very loud, though. Tower they were. of were, but they were good. Yeah, very good.
1: So with Tower of Power, um, they're been several lead vocalists, uh, the most famous of which being Lee Williams, who fronted the band uh, between early 1973 and late 74, which was the period of their biggest commercial success. Hmm. Uh, this title is actually off their 1995 album, hmm. showing how long they basically have to make music. Yeah, um, and it's off uh, their then producer Epic Records. It actually marked the debut of then lead vocalist Brent Carter and drummer Herman Matthews who ironically enough is a distant cousin of the original vocalist Rick Stevens Hmm. so their drummer in the 90s is a relative of their singer from the 70s
0: Hmm.
1: or probably early 60s early 60s that's funny
0: so and so this is not so Brent Carter is not the guy that is there now
1: um I can do the searches in the Googles and find out Brent Carter who's a native New Yorker um Became the lead singer of Tower of Power, and they recorded three albums with him, um, including Sold Out, Rhythm and Business, and Soul Vaccination. That sounds bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 2011, Carter made several brief appearances with the band, singing "I Like Your Style." So I guess that's maybe, a good song. If he made brief appearances with them in in 2011, I don't know if he's along any longer with them. But mm. maybe that was him. I don't know. Yay for not knowing things.
0: Well, Uh, hopefully, funky listeners, you will be inspired to go research yourselves who the lead singer of Tower Power is. Their
1: last studio album was all the way, way, way back in 2009, (laughs) called The Great American Soul Book. I'm pretty sure, Mm. after a while, they just tried to figure out a way to, like, work the word soul into every one of their titles.
0: Yeah, they kind (laughs) of do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like, sold out, Great American Soul Book. Uh, Soul
0: Vaccination.
1: There's a song, there's a, there's a, uh, album called Dinosaur Tracks. <laughs> cool. Which is, uh, apparently, like, unreleased songs that they recorded between 80 and
0: 83.
1: Hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's some, uh, little mo- bit more facts about Tower of Power that we found in five seconds of Googling. Wow. So, yeah, I think we should listen to a little clip of Sold Out before we sell ourselves out, and, uh, jump the shark.
0: Okay.
1: Everybody's gonna be there. There'll be body people everywhere. Cause one
0: thing you know, for sure, it's sold out. We gotta get it higher. We gotta get it. It's sold out. We gotta be there.
1: You know where Jump the Shark, that term, came from, by the way?
0: No, I don't. The
1: term actually came uh because in. The seven, the I think, yeah, the seventy show Happy Days, you know, with the Fonz and all that. Yeah. Basically, the show was on for way, way too long and way longer than it should have been. <laughs> and in the last few seasons, it was basically centered around Fonzie because most of the other actors had left. <laughs> and there was an episode where Fonzie was challenged by aliens. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> challenged by aliens to, as to whether he could jump his like motorcycle or jet ski or something over a shark. Okay. And that was the plot of the episode. And then that was attributed because it was pretty much the most awful thing ever put to television. Hmm. Uh it kind of colloquialized that term when a show goes on for longer than it should and becomes cheesy or overdone called Jumping the Shark.
0: Wow, I never knew that. <laughs> yep. So that's really where it comes from that's funny. Yep. Well, I don't know that's good. To where know. I remember, I don't know where I heard that, but I just remember hearing that somewhere. Do you think we will ever jump the shark with this show? I think we have.
1: <laughs> what are you talking? Did we jump the shark as soon as we did funk uh, karaoke? Come on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. So, do you want to tell our listeners what "sold out" means, Kyle?
1: Um. So the common reading of "sold out" for those of you that don't know English is <laughs> uh, uh, is when a good or service is no longer available to be provided. Thus, it is sold out. However, the song's meaning is, um it's when a man plays so much soul that he uh, runs out of soul.
0: <laughs> I guess yeah. so. I mean, I, I guess that's the best guess we can come up with. And to clarify, in case you can't tell, it's S O U L E D out. Yeah,
1: yeah. For the I probably song,
0: should have, I probably um, should have spelled that out. Well, we just did, so we're good.
1: Yeah. Speaking of sold out, did you hear that? Um, Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels are back making a sequel, Dumb and Dumber. I did hear that, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> the they look really though, old. Yeah, the sa- exactly. I, like, there was a set scene, and I looked at both of them, and I'm like, God, they're old. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like one of those things where, like, if you took that and then took the original one they made back in, like, 93, yeah, it's basically like a meth ad. <laughs> oh,
0: God. Uh, <laughs> comedy, not even
1: once. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny, because Jeff Daniels just won uh, Best Actor at the Emmys for his role in Newsroom. Nice. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't he
0: actually kind of successful right now? He's very
1: successful. Uh, Jim Carrey, I don't know what he's doing. uh, God knows. But it's funny because in the Newsroom he plays this very intellectual news anchor who is, like, incredibly smart, and he basically has to do literally the exact opposite to play his character from Dumb and Dumber. So it's like, (laughs) like intellectual, like, nosedive to, like, get in the mindset of that character.
0: Maybe it's a good change of pace for him. Yeah. He can let go and be stupid. <laughs> remember the
1: remember the part in the movie where, I forgot which one of it was, but they uh, sold a blind kid their dead budgie that they had oh, fell yeah, off yeah. they taped it t- 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 <laughs> back on. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> and at the end he's like, who's a pretty bird? <laughs>
0: uh, Do we know what the plot is of, of the new one?
1: Oh, yes. Um, apparently they're going on some sort of wacky cross country road trip to find a like long lost third a long lost relative or whatever that they believe can donate a liver to one of them which needs it because they're dying <laughs> okay so it, it's like breaking bad but without intelligence
0: without the breaking it's just bad <laughs> i don't even know i don't know
1: i'm probably going to end up seeing it but i don't know <laughs> well you can
0: tell our listeners what you think of it i don't know god knows when it's coming out they're they're just filming it now so okay So, we have one more song that we're going to talk about today. It's called No Parking by Midnight Star. Midnight Star were a, uh, I guess they are, because they're back touring again, supposedly. They're an R&B slash electro-funk group who were popular throughout the 1980s. No Parking on the Dance Floor uh, was the group's fourth and most successful album. It was released in 1984 under Solar Records. This song, No Parking, is the album's namesake, obviously, so another record. That never happens. <laughs> it happens every time, basically. Um, although it was not the most popular song from the album, only reaching number 43 on the R&B chart, and number 81 on the Hot 100, which kind of surprised me because I thought this was their most famous song. But maybe not. I, th- I thought so, too. I don't know. The song has been sampled by many other artists throughout the years, uh, presumably mostly hip-hop and stuff like that. Although, something I did notice was that um, apparently the barcades that we were talking about earlier sampled this song, or at least like the, the backing tune of it or whatever, uh, for their song Freak Show on the Dance Floor, which we were talking really? about. Yeah. See,
1: so I always thought Freak Show on the Dance Floor came out before no parking on the dance floor.
0: Uh, apparently not. But yeah, actually, when you think about it, they do have a very similar sound. They do. So, that's something I did not know until now. Uh, last time we were talking about no parking, I believe, was when we were um, talking about songs that started out with monologues. And if you remember, this one is a very short one. It's basically fake police officers saying, hey, you can't park your booty here, you have to move it, or you're going to get a ticket. And so that kind of works into the, the pun of this song. We were, so the common meaning of no parking, obviously, is you can't park your car here. That's goes without saying. Uh, song's meaning is basically don't stand around idly on the dance floor. You Basically, you have to move. And the whole thing of no parking is you're going to get in trouble if you don't move your body, so you better move it. Don't park on the dance floor.
1: Do you think the cop, if she didn't move, would have put like one of those car boots on her booty? <laughs> A car booty.
0: Did you ever see that show? It was that uh, reality show about the parking enforcement people who would like give Uh-oh. tickets to... Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. It was mildly entertaining, but... Why did that exist? I don't know. I, I mean, cause, well, it was, like, sense. in Cleveland or something, so, like, everybody, a lot of people were getting pissed off and, like, pulling guns on them and stuff for well, giving right. them a ticket and stuff. So, I mean, there was that. So, yeah, it was kind of sketch. Cleveland is pretty sketch. It wasn't called Parking Wars, was it? That sounds like a really I, th- I dumb think it name. was. Yeah. If it's dumb, it probably was. It has the name Wars in it.
1: That was back when, like, everything had the name Wars, remember? There was Parking Wars, Junkyard Wars... Bear wars, like whale wars, everything was a war.
0: Shipping wars was actually pretty good, though. I don't, maybe you might argue with that. What the hell is shipping wars? Oh, it's where they have independent people who ship stuff. Who they bid for to carry stuff across the country in their trucks and stuff. And there's like stuff that always oh, goes wrong. yeah, it was actually pretty good. It's kind of it interesting. Like, isn't
1: there what that show Ice Road Truckers was based off of?
0: No, because this one is a lot more recent than Ice Road Truckers. Why, why, just out of
1: curiosity, why are people so fascinated with, like, the most boring aspects of American culture? Like, they love stuff about, like, long-haul trucking, which is pretty much the most (laughs) boring job you could ever do. Well, it's
0: long-haul trucking where you could die at any second because there's ice and snow and all that stuff. I mean, I guess that's the appeal with Ice Road Truckers. And usually, and like, like with shipping wars, I mean, they they would all, most of the stuff they're shipping is like something that's kind of wacky or or unusual, and they deal with a lot of shady characters. So that's what makes the show interesting. It's that kind of stuff. If they were just doing regular stuff, it would be really extremely boring. <laughs> Plus, I mean, the characters themselves on the show are kind of funny too. So yeah, yeah,
1: you know what show I watch that I feel bad that I watch, but I do is um, Pawn Stars.
0: Oh, that's not bad. That's kind of funny.
1: See. I hate it because all the scenes between the different, I guess, what do you call it?
0: The characters. A-
1: actors are basically, like, completely contrived. Well, yeah, they but feel
0: really staged, but it's still kind so of They're so
1: staged. But at the same time, I like the different items that people bring in. I find them interesting. But it's hilarious because cause every time someone brings something in, it's like, oh, this is, like, a 18th century horse masturbator, and... And <laughs> they're like and then they're like, I'm really hoping to get like, you know, five thousand dollars for it And then whoever <laughs> they're showing it to is like, Yeah, the best I could do is three fifty And then they're like, Oh, well I was kinda hoping to get three thousand and then, and the, then the old, old oh. man
0: comes in and is like of my store.
1: No. The it's usually the bald guy and he's always like, Well, you know, I have to try to find a market for this and I have to frame it because it's a horse masturbator <laughs> And I have to get it re- re-varnished, and I have to get it authenticated by a horse masturbation expert, and then they're like, okay, fine, how about $4? He's like, no, three fifty is all I can do. And then they usually end up taking three fifty. and then when they interview them afterwards, they're like, you know, I was hoping to get a little bit more for it, but I'm glad that I got 3 dollars because now I can feed my meth addiction.
0: <laughs> that was extremely accurate. <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> impressed. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: that was nicely done it's so
1: great because you know that like 90% of the reason that people are in because it's in Vegas obviously Yeah. you know that 90% of the reason that people are pawning their stuff as opposed to say selling it on eBay is because they, want be they need TV. money because they're in gambling debt or they need drug money
0: yeah so it's always like
1: the most shady characters ever
0: well I've heard that like their store is like 80% merchandise for their own show. Now, really? they don't even sell that much of like actual stuff anymore. So because they're so popular. So yeah, that kind I'm of sure bugs they,
1: me. I'm sure they make far more money from the show than they do from the business. Yeah. But yeah. So that's the that's a description of the show for these those of you that don't watch it.
0: It's kind of funny when you think about it because the the whole well, the last few years but like now now too. I mean, the whole craze with the reality shows. We're going to look back at this like 15-20 years later. And we're going to be like oh god remember reality shows
1: so you're assuming that they go away i don't think they're not going to go away completely
0: away. but they're not they're not it's like almost everything on tv right now is this kind of thing i think it's a phase i think eventually we're going to get sick of it and it's going to move on to something else i hope so i hope I so i really do but well, like, yeah but it's
1: the most brilliant scheme ever because they are dirt cheap to make because they don't need writers mm-hmm. they get like these people that they probably pay like in peanuts literally <laughs> And then they shoot these things and they become crazy popular and make millions in advertising.
0: Well, and they encourage stupid people to act even stupider.
1: That's why I love <laughs> that they call them reality shows, because they're literally the opposite of reality. <laughs> it's pretty much always staged. Yeah. And it's always usually stupid people doing stupid things that people don't normally do.
0: You know which reality show I love, which I what? haven't watched in a long time? Is um, Call of the Wild Man, I think it was. I don't know. Where the guy from, like, Kentucky, who, like, lives in the backwoods and he catches animals. He's basically, like, Crocodile Hunter, except he's, like, a complete redneck. And he has, like, almost no teeth. What? And he's pretty awesome.
1: I don't know if it got canceled or not, because it was, like, crazy controversial, but they had this new show this year called, like, Naked and Scared, where they, like, literally drop people off in, like, these remote areas, kind of like Survivor Man. Oh, but I heard about lit- that. But they're literally naked. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, how shameless really are we as a society?
0: <laughs> yeah. Like,
1: Didn't someone get like? Sick it's set aside the show.
0: I thought like someone got poisoned or something. Something happened. With
1: yeah, that. I think something bad happened. I think the show got nixed, but it was like really controversial from the start. <laughs> God. Pretty soon we're just gonna start like filming people like killing each other in a re- in an arena, like Hunger Game style. Like I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I hope not. George Carlin predicted that it, it's going to happen. <laughs> George Carlin, he is in the sky and the sea. He is in the dreams of little children. <laughs> he is everything there is forever. For
0: those who oh, don't man. know, that was a reference to a, a recent episode of Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. That was that was an amazing bit of dialogue. Oh god, I was dying, dying when he said that. <laughs> anyway, so we should probably listen to a bit of no parking by midnight start. (laughs) I love that we
1: totally didn't do that yet it's been like 10 minutes yeah
0: well, we got sidetracked a bit but that's okay that's why you listen to funk radio it's not only for the songs it's for the it's for the stupid people as well kind of like reality shows Once again, that was No Parking on the Dance Floor by Midnight Star. And that wraps up our topic for today about songs whose titles and themes are uh, plays on words.
1: Yay. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you discovered a few new puns that you can use in your uh, pun (laughs) repertoire. We'll post the uh, Spotify playlist up here soon, along with the episode.
0: Yeah, go ahead and uh, subscribe to our account. We'll post it on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash getyourfunk as of recent we not only post the episodes but now we also post our playlist of the full songs so that you can enjoy them in their original glory rather than just a few seconds of them as we play on the show Yeah. so check that out
1: yay for Spotify and doing things legally yay you know Spotify was invented by the same
0: people that did in Amster I did not know that some of the same people not just in Timberlake but... <laughs> did you know that Funk Radio was founded by us
1: I didn't. I thought it was founded by George Washington Carver.
0: <laughs> now
1: I'm really sad because it wasn't. <laughs> if it was, it'd be like, peanut talk all the time. Peanut hour.
0: Peanuts. They're nutty and crunchy. Uh Morgan Freeman. <laughs> I would give a try to a podcast that was about peanuts. <laughs> if it was narrated by Morgan Freeman. Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> As I said, you can like us on Facebook, you can also subscribe to us on iTunes. We say that stuff pretty much every time, so if you haven't done it by now, then you're a terrible person. You're a terrible person. (laughs) No, you're not, but we would encourage you to... uh,
1: (laughs) For every like we don't get, a puppy gets smacked.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're just kidding, we love puppies. But we love smack them too, so you better like us. (laughs) on (laughs) On that note of slapping puppies, I guess we should sign off now. See, that sounds like an innuendo to me. I don't know why. Slapping the puppy.
1: Yeah. It's a very bad innuendo, but... Anyways, um, so yeah, that was our episode. And terrible puns and innuendos aside, we wish you a happy... New Year. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the snowman from uh, Frosty the Snowman. Happy birthday! <laughs> okay, we're signing off now. Before I say anything more... This has been your host, Peter. And this has been your host, Frosty the Snowman. Slash Kyle. Maybe. (laughs) Kyle is gone. I am all that remains.
0: (laughs) Okay, bye. Bye. For more podcasts and the latest news in gaming, movies, and entertainment, visit 8thCircuit.com.